Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 6 from the World English Bible. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is heavy on men. A man to whom God gives riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he desires, yet God gives him no power to eat of it, but an alien eats it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not filled with good, and moreover he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Moreover, it has not seen the sun nor known it. This has rest rather than the other. Yes, though he live a thousand years twice told, and yet fails to enjoy good, don't all go to one place? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what advantage has the wise more than the fool? What has the poor man that knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Whatever has been, its name was given long ago, and it is known what man is. Neither can he contend with him who is mightier than he. For there are many words that create vanity. What does that profit man? For who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his vain life which he spends like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? That is the end of chapter 6. I have to admit at getting a bit impatient with this preacher. It seems repetitive and depressing, and if you'll pardon the expression, like he's beating a dead horse. How many different ways are there to say that we will all die in the end unless Jesus comes first? When he talks about evil in the first verse, maybe he does mean morally evil, but the word could also mean adversity or hardship. And then he talks about wealth and honor given by God. But keep in mind that the next part that he states happens because of sin in the hearts of mankind and the choice that all men have as to whether or not to suppress the truth, as it talks about in Romans 1.18, because God allows men their choices and some people oppress others, as the preacher is spoken of, by taking what the one has gained in wealth. And it may be dressed up in terms that try to legitimize it, but when one person or group demands the wealth of another, it is oppression. The word alien in verse 2 made me smile because it's a funny example of how a presupposition of a word meaning could really mess up how someone reads this, especially if they think of aliens only as extraterrestrials. But alien means a foreigner or someone not of your immediate people group, someone not originally from your area in the more immediate past. So this hints at the idea of other armies coming in and conquering and taking wealth. 
In verse 3, he talks about an abundance of children. Now, starting with Genesis 1, we can see that the idea of having many offspring was seen to be a blessing, and women who were barren, such as Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, and then Elizabeth in the New Testament, felt great disappointment and loss at this. So this is the second of two major themes in a man's life that are supposed to indicate blessing, wealth and children. Did you know that the Chinese character that means good is made up of the character for wife plus the character for child? So the idea is that if you have a wife and children, there is no plural in Chinese the way there is in English. If you have a wife and children, all is good. I thought that was very interesting when I learned that. But the preacher's point is that all the blessings in the world in this earthly life are empty if a person's soul, if a person's innermost being is not satisfied. And then he adds this comment about no burial, which seems to imply a lack of honor by those he has lived with. And so the preacher returns to the idea of death and that a stillborn is better off. This is at least better than never being born, his earlier example, but it is meant to emphasize the lack of hardship because a stillborn dies before facing any of the hardships of life. In verse 6, when he talks about thousand years times two, this reminiscent of the lifespans prior to the flood, though he doubles it to make his point that all die. Now, David Gusick suggests that the preacher is speaking of death in an uncertainty that is typical of the Old Testament, but I have to disagree. Even King David, if this was Solomon, it was his own father, spoke hopefully of his salvation through the loving kindness of Yahweh. In particular, he spoke of seeing the baby that died when he died. And Job also spoke of his Redeemer and seeing him in his flesh. If you look at Job 19, verses 25 through 27, that's such a contrast. Job, who is stripped of wealth and honor and health and children, and whose friends are tormenting him with unbased spiritual platitudes, Job has hope about what will happen after he dies. Sure, he has some rough moments, but he saw beyond the death of this life. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, who himself seems to have been blessed with wealth and honor and wisdom, recall he speaks of himself as a king, he is full of despair. In verse 7, the preacher makes the claim that all of man's labor is for his basic physical needs, but somehow that isn't satisfying. I again notice there's a self-centered focus to this. There's nothing about sharing, nothing about fellowship. And he just goes back to the fact that everyone dies in the end. Okay, yeah. And even though in verse 9, it is better to enjoy what is before you than always wandering after desire, he says it is all vanity and emptiness. Then in verse 10, some take this verse to be fatalistic in that all is determined for and about people, but that's not what it says. It says whatever has been named And then it goes on to make a comparison of man compared to God. So it's speaking about how we have been created and we cannot contend with the Almighty. Humans are created in the image of God, which the preacher should know, but God is far above us. And to try to contend with our creator is futile. Again, this doesn't say that we are contending with a God who has predestined us for everything, but rather that we cannot contend about our position with him. 
He is God and we are not, no matter how much some people may attempt to act so. This phrase, what does it profit a man, is translated in some places in the Bible as what advantage does a man have? You can particularly see, um, depending on the translation, the phrase, what does it profit in James 2.14, where it talks about faith resulting in works, and then the classic in uh, Mark 8.36 and Luke 9.25, where Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? And then in 1 Corinthians 15.32, again, depending on the translation, Paul is talking about what advantage does he have or what does it profit him. So we can use many words against or to contend with God, but it gives us no advantage. Then in verse 12, he asks, who knows what is good for man? He has partly answered himself in other places. And in chapter 12, verse 13, the narrator will summarize it. But still the preacher is spending a lot of time stating emphatically that life is vain and meaningless. However, even in the Old Testament, there are places where it talks about what our purpose is. In particular, Deuteronomy 6, 5, Deuteronomy 10, 12, Joshua 22, 5, and then even Matthew 22, 38. And it's not like these things were said in obscure places one time. So this seems to be what is missing in the preacher's life and perspective. We are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Then the last question that's in this segment will segue into the next chapter where the preacher is again concerned with his reputation. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.